What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. We have an election coming up next month on November 8th. Between our different shows, KPFA is working to bring you coverage of the various propositions, measures, and candidates themselves who are on your ballots here in the Bay Area. As you know, this show, Law and Disorder, is particularly focused on exploring policing and imprisonment. KPFA as a station is housed in Berkeley, and your usual host, Kat Brooks, as well as myself, live in Oakland. Our local politics in these realms are important to us on a very personal level. So today, in our election coverage, rooted here in Alameda County, we'll bring you the voices of the two candidates running for our county's district attorney's office. I'll start with a little background before we bring on the first candidate. It is rare that we have the opportunity to vote for a brand new district attorney here. For the past 80 or so years, an outgoing DA has appointed a replacement who then shows up as an incumbent on the ballot. That's how our current DA, Nancy O'Malley, was placed in her position in 2009. Her predecessor, Tom Orloff, was DA from 1994 until 2009, and his predecessor before him held the role from 81 until 94. Historically, this is an intensely incumbent legacy position, but our outgoing DA's retirement plan does things a little differently. There is no incumbent candidate running in this election. With that said, given the history, it seems likely that whoever wins this race in November may have the ability to hold their position for quite a long time. The new DA will have a significant impact. So that's some of the history bringing us more into the immediate. There was an Alameda County District Attorney race this past June, but under our election rules, because no one candidate received more than 50% of the vote, we're now in the November 8th polling date, looking at a runoff election between the two candidates who received the most votes this past summer. The candidates are Terry Wiley and Pamela Price. With either of them winning, we will have a black district attorney for the first time in the county's history. So here we are just about a month away from the November 8th election. Ballots have begun to be mailed out, and those of us who choose to vote are making our decisions about which bubbles to fill in. I want to be clear with our listeners about today's show. Law and Disorder is not endorsing any candidate. We will have both candidates on back-to-back, and I'll be asking them essentially the same challenging questions. Our first guest today is Terry Wiley. Terry is a 33-year veteran of the Alameda County DA's office who has held a wide variety of positions within the office during that time. He is the first Black Chief Assistant District Attorney in the county, and he is one of the two candidates vying to be our next District Attorney in the runoff election on November 8th. Terry, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So let's get right into it. Um, The district attorney's office has a significant impact on how laws are enforced in this country, which means the office has a great power surrounding which humans are held in our county-funded cages. Terry Wiley, what makes you want to be the person who makes the decisions in Alameda County of who is prosecuted to be put in cages? Well, first of all, my, uh, I'm running to be the next district attorney of Alameda County. Uh, in large part because I've committed uh, the last 33 years of my career uh, to making sure that we have a fair criminal justice system as best I could from the different positions that I've held. And I've held 21 different positions uh, in the Alameda County District Attorney's Office. And I think by any measure, every position I held and 
subsequently went to another position was left in a better state. And I'll give you one example. In 2013, I took over our juvenile division where Alameda County was averaging about 300 juveniles per week in custody at our uh, juvenile justice center. Uh, I went and reviewed uh, why so many kids were being held in custody and immediately began implementing policies uh, that would result in fewer uh, juveniles being incarcerated. So by the time I was transferred back to adult in 2017, uh, Alameda County went from three, averaging 300 kids in 2013 to averaging a little uh, over 54 kids per week in our juvenile hall. And that trend continues to this day. Uh, so that's why I'm running, because I am someone who can bring about the kind of changes that we all want to see in our criminal justice system. But most importantly, what makes me a different candidate is it that it does not have to be at the expense of the safety of the community. What do you mean by that, at the expense of the safety of the community? That there, there are many who think that if you want to implement changes to the criminal justice system, like implementing policies, like my opponent, who says, well, I'm not going to charge any, any misdemeanors, uh, or... Uh, uh, that I'm not going to enforce uh, certain aspects of the law uh, in order uh, that there are uh, uh, to cut the flow of people coming through the criminal justice system, which uh, I contend that if you don't use some pragmatism in those kinds of policies, it's going to result in a less safe society. And we saw a lot of that play out in San Francisco uh, under uh, the leadership of Chase Boudin. Uh, and, and I think that you can have the kind of changes that everyone wants to see, uh, a system with fewer disparities um, and a system that's more fair, but it does not have to be at the expense of safety. And that's that's what we represent. We, we, we think first and foremost, the role of the district attorney is the safety of the community. And by any measure, if you look at the current state of crime, uh, it's out of control, particularly in Oakland. So, Terry, I want to ask you not only about the safety of our community in general, but also of the safety of the people who are being arrested and charged by your office. Specifically, I want to ask about the relationship between the decisions you'll make as DA and the punishments that are handed down at the local level within the Alameda County Sheriff's Department. We just learned a few weeks ago the news that our sheriff had continued to employ 47 deputies who failed psychological exams. In, com in some cases, for years, these were some of the people enforcing human caging and imprisonment at the county level. The job of the DA does not hold power, I want to be clear, over the sheriff's strategies of incarceration. But should you win this election, will the scandals of that department and how they treat the people who live in those prisons impact your decisions about who to charge, how to charge them? And how worthwhile is it to charge people with crimes where they could be held and controlled by officers who are not necessarily held to reasonable standards? Yeah. So let me just say about that particular uh, controversy, if you will. Uh, I think that it was it's problematic that there clearly was some major systemic failures over at the sheriff's department. Uh, because I just don't understand how... Uh, uh, 47 people can fail psychological testing and then be allowed to uh, become deputy sheriffs. 
uh, without that being resolved. So clearly there were some major systemic failures. And uh, that is something that, you know, they're currently investigating. Um, and everyone is taking a look at uh, uh, if those failures uh, resulted in any sort of uh, had any uh, impact on uh, uh, the cases that are coming through the system uh, are that, you know, arrests that were made and any cases that uh, came through our criminal justice system and, and may have somehow been impacted. But, you know, it's still early in that investigation. So, um, you know, but the sheriff's uh, department and the, and the position of the sheriff is one of only three constitutionally elected uh, offices in Alameda County. And so the district attorney does not um, have any jurisdiction over the sheriff's department. However, we do um, have uh, the ability to investigate uh, uh, the sheriff's department um, as a prosecuting agency. Um, I don't know if that fully answers your question. So my, my question is specifically knowing that the sheriff's department, which we understand the district attorney's office is not in control over, but knowing the sheriff's department does administer these jails, if the sheriff department is acting in ways that do not treat humans with basic rights, does that have any impact on how you enforce charges in the court system? Well, that, that impacts the whole uh, criminal justice system because I think it's, uh, it's important that uh, the public believe and understand that, uh, you know, you shouldn't, whether you come into contact with the criminal justice system or not, and you are, uh, for whatever reason, uh, put in custody at Santa Rita Jail, then that person should be safe. And if there are circumstances that are are going to uh, impact a person's safety, then we all should be concerned with that because it, it impacts the confidence that the public has in our criminal justice system when people aren't being viewed as, as um, you know, when Santa Rita is viewed as a dangerous place. Um, and so, yes, I mean, I think it's very important in the district attorney's office is always going to be concerned about that. And it will be under my leadership. All right. So this is the voice of Terry Wiley. Terry Wiley is one of the two candidates running on this November 8th election at this point in a runoff for Alameda County's district attorney's office. I want to shift gears just slightly. So, Terry, you talked about systemic failures in the sheriff's department. I want to actually ask about some systemic failure, perhaps in the district attorney's office itself. You have been in that office for uh, 33 years. I'm looking at an East Bay Times article here from 2021 that references a motion by the public defender's office that was filed. It references over 20 cases where the appellate court either determined that a member of the district attorney's office either committed misconduct or reversed a conviction due to error. Among the conduct described is withholding exculpatory evidence, making improper arguments to the jury, and even secretly recording attorney-client conversations in jail. Most of these attorneys are still at the office, and some are now in leadership positions. How do you plan to address these well-documented issues of prosecutorial misconduct in the DA's office? And specifically, if an appellate court determined that one of your attorneys committed misconduct, 
What, if any, disciplinary actions would you take against that attorney? Yeah, well, that, that's a great question because I can tell you right now that under my leadership, uh, that those sorts of behaviors uh, will not be tolerated. But what I also want to say is that, um, you know, the motion that was filed by the public defender's office uh, was absolutely rejected by the court um, in that, uh, well, it was it was fully rejected by the court in terms of the motion that they were bringing in that particular case, but that does not uh, uh, that does not address the fact that we have had some uh, uh, of our DAs who um, have uh, uh, gotten into situations uh, that that uh, you know under my leadership it absolutely will not be tolerated. I mean, um, withholding exculpatory evidence, that's grounds for termination um, under my leadership. You know, that will not be tolerated. And uh, and I don't think that that is going to be uh, an issue under my leadership uh, because everybody knows what I stand for and, and what I represent. And so, um, so that's my position. To, to clarify... In this article that I have here in front of me from the East Bay Times, there's over 20 cases that are referenced by name, um, which makes them pretty easy to look up. Are you suggesting that none of those are true? Um, no, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I, I think that you're focusing on 20 cases and uh, over literally thousands of cases that our DAs handle uh, year to year. And you're, you're talking about DAs that have handled uh, thousands of cases over the course of their careers. And you're focusing on, you know, one case out of, out of the many thousands of cases that that particular DA has handled and handled ethically and, and, and with uh, uh, and, and handled properly. And so... Uh, you know, and, and when it comes to cases that have been reversed on appeal, I mean, that happens all the time. Their cases get reversed for any number of reasons. But, uh, you know, what you don't want to see happening in a prosecutor's office is cases being reversed for, uh, uh, you know, withholding uh, exculpatory evidence. Um, you know, the particular case where the DA... Um, uh, secretly recorded uh, the defendant. That was a major, major problem. And uh, and we do not run from what that DA did. Uh, but, you know, ultimately it is the elected DA's decision as to what ultimately happens in terms of discipline with that in that particular case. So, you know, uh, Ms. O'Malley would have to speak to that. Um, and so that, that has... That lawyer is back working in the DA's office now, from my understanding. Are you saying yeah. you would commit, once you win, if you win this election, that you would commit to handing down that discipline? No, I'm not saying that. That, that DA okay. is, is, is a hardworking, uh, excellent DA who made a mistake. And the DA and was Secretly recorded that, that, an, a, yeah. a privileged conversation. Yes. Uh -huh. yes. And... and and that DA was disciplined for that, and uh, but has since then uh, performed um, just 
uh, her performance has been hard work and excellent. Um, and, and I have actually uh, seen that DA's work, and, and her work has been excellent. And I think that that is, that is a mistake that she made that um, she'll, she'll never make that mistake again. I mean, we hope she'll All never right. make that mistake again. All right. I want to move on. We only have about five minutes left before we shift the conversation to your opponent in this race. So, Terry Wiley, of the charges that the district attorney can choose to file or not, including criminal charges in the cases of incidents of violence by police officers, basically the DA makes the county level determination of whether a use of force like a police officer killing someone, for example, is considered justified or not. During her time in office, that's from 2009 until 2022 now, the current district attorney has filed charges against just one officer for a police killing. Terry Wiley, how do you plan on dealing with officers who exercise violence against people? Well, I was the one who filed the charges in that case. Uh, and I also was the prosecutor uh, who uh, uh, prosecuted the writer's case. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, I have a history of holding everyone accountable. Uh, law enforcement understands that with me as the district attorney, everyone will be held to a high standard of conduct and that uh, we are going to make sure that all of our law enforcement uh, agencies understand uh, the standards uh, that are currently set out by the state of California when it comes to the use of force and that... Uh, and and we're going to hold everyone to a high standard, uh, you know, because okay, so. it is it is a very very, you know, police officers are the only one, uh, the only profession uh, in American society that can engage in justifiable homicide, and so you have to have individuals who who are exercising uh, those powers to do them to exercise them responsibly, and, and they will be held to a high standard. Uh, I have a history of holding law enforcement to a high standard, and I'll continue to do that. So part of the process in determining whether to file those charges are, is for inspectors and prosecutors to explore and report on those cases to the district attorney who makes their decisions based on these reports. These reports are created by DA investigators. The Alameda County office currently has somewhere in the area of 70 investigators. Many of them are former police officers themselves. If you're in the position to ultimately make the decision of when to prosecute cops in incidents of violence... How will you structure your office to get a semblance of objectivity in how those reports are filed? Again, the DA relies on reports from DA investigators whose previous experience are often, of course not always, as police officers, many of whom maintain personal relationships with current cops. Yeah, and so just so that your audience is aware, so generally what happens whenever there is a... a someone is killed by law enforcement, there generally are two parallel investigations. Uh, the police agency does their own investigation, and then the district attorney's office does a parallel investigation. And we have what, <clears throat> and in the district attorney's office, we have what is called an officer-involved shooting team uh, that generally involves a uh, experienced uh, district attorney and uh, an assigned inspector and they conduct a parallel investigation into the shooting. Um, now, um, 
I've always <clears throat> been someone that has not been opposed to the attorney general taking over uh, officer-involved uh, shootings because of that, because of the, the reason that you stated. Um, and that, uh, you know, because we work hand-in-hand with these law enforcement agencies every day. And so to get a, a more objective uh, 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 investigation, um, I, I think that it, it, it would be appropriate for the attorney general uh, to take over officer-involved shootings. But that's not the current state of, of where we are in California. And so many district attorney's offices are still uh, conducting those investigations now. One of the things that I'm going to be looking at is having a permanent officer-involved shooting team, and that team will be walled off from the rest of the district attorney's office and from the police agencies, because what we currently have is a rotating uh, officer-involved shooting team, and that means that the the DAs that are assigned to the officer-involved shooting team is, and generally is about seven DAs that make up the team, but it's a rotating team. So they just, you know, one person's up, they do that shooting, and then the next person is up. But they also still carry regular caseloads. And what I will, what I'm considering moving to is having a permanent officer-involved shooting team that's walled off from, uh, there will be a firewall put in from the district attorneys and the police agencies. Can you clarify what does it mean to be walled off in that situation? Is it that those people will not be former officers? They will not have personal relationships with police officers? How can you enforce no, that outside that. of the workplace? No, no, no I'm not saying that. What does that. it mean I'm to be saying, walled off? I'm, what, what I'm saying is, is that they will not be carrying regular caseloads where they're working with police officers, with police agencies every day. Um, their, their exclusive job would be to investigate officer-involved shootings. And again, that's not saying uh, I'm saying that that's something that I would consider and that I am considering. All right, Terry, we're going to have to wrap up. I want to ask you, are there other campaign priorities that you want to just briefly touch on for our listeners um, before we head out today? Yeah, I will tell you what my five top priorities are day one as district attorney. Uh, We will focus on the approximately 2000 repeat uh, gang or group members who are committing a majority of the violent crimes in Alameda County. Uh, We will seek to dramatically increase the number of referrals to drug treatment and mental health care programs. Uh, We are going to expand job training and internships and skilled trades. We're doing a lot of um, negotiating with the labor unions and with the Port of Oakland in terms of uh, available jobs for uh, those are, that are reentering from the prison system and those that are coming back from substance abuse and mental health uh, circumstances. And we are going to rid Alameda County of ghost guns. Uh, we are going to work uh, ferociously to enact or see that legislation is passed to outlaw ghost guns. And then we're going to focus on protecting the vulnerable, starting with combating anti-Asian violence and continuing with a focus on domestic violence, crimes against children, and all hate crimes. Those will be our top five priorities. All right, Terry Wiley, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. 
pleasure. Terry Wiley is a 33-year veteran of the Alameda County's District Attorney's Office, and he is one of two candidates running for our county's district attorney position in a runoff election scheduled for November 8th. We're going to turn now to the other candidate running. That's Pamela Price. In 2018, Pamela Price ran for DA against then-incumbent Nancy O'Malley and built some following but was not able to win the race. In the election for DA this past June, she got 42% of the vote and is now facing a runoff against Terry Wiley for the position in our election coming up on November 8th. Pamela Price, thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. We're looking forward to um, to exploring your platform. So the district attorney's office has a significant impact on how laws are enforced in this county, which means the office has a great power surrounding which humans are held in our county funded cages. Pamela Price, what makes you want to be the person who makes the decisions in Alameda County of who is prosecuted to be put in cages? What makes me, drives me in this position is that I'm a drum major for justice. I have been in the fight for civil rights and social justice and racial and gender justice for 50 years. And I live in Alameda County. And when I saw the racial disparities that have infected the criminal justice system in such a pervasive and normalized way, I could not turn, I couldn't close my eyes and turn my back on it. I live here. I've lived here since 1978. I walk these streets. I've been a business person. And so this is very personal to me. I didn't just move here to run. I'm not just looking for a job. This is what I do, which is fight injustice. And there is no better place for us to be calling out injustice than the criminal justice system in 2022. Speaking of which, Pamela, I want to ask about the relationship between the decisions you would make as district attorney if you win this election and the punishments that are handed down at the local level within the Alameda County Sheriff's Department. We just learned a few weeks ago the news that our sheriff had continued to employ 47 deputies who failed psychological exams in some cases for years. These were some of the people enforcing human caging and imprisonment at the county level. The job of district attorney does not hold power, I want to be clear, over the sheriff's strategies of incarceration. But I'm wondering, should you win this election, will the scandals of that department impact your decisions about who to charge and how to charge them? And how worthwhile is it to charge people with crimes where they could be held and controlled by officers who are not necessarily held to reasonable standards? Certainly. In 2019, there was an article that came out that said that Santa Rita County Jail is the most dangerous place in Alameda County. Santa Rita County Jail is the third largest county jail in California and the fifth largest county jail in the United States. And for decades, the district attorney and the sheriff have been in a collusive, collaborative relationship, which is by definition the way the county is set up. The Public Protection Department of Alameda County includes four actors, the DA, the sheriff, uh, the probation chief, and the public defender. And the DA and the sheriff have been in lockstep in, in terms of building mass incarceration, sustaining mass incarceration in this county, and the challenges that we face 
in Santa Rita County Jail and the lawlessness there has been absolutely tolerated, condoned, and empowered by the district attorney's office, absolutely not accepting responsibility for holding law enforcement accountable. We talk a lot about law enforcement on the streets and the local departments, but the county sheriff is the main person that the district attorney should be looking at because you're absolutely right. Nobody goes to Santa Rita County Jail without a district attorney being responsible for that. People can't get out of Santa Rita County Jail because the district attorney is the gatekeeper for justice. And unfortunately, for decades, our sheriff, our district attorneys have just been, they've been partners, essentially, in allowing lawless and criminal behavior to take place at at that county jail facility. As district attorney, I have the responsibility, the obligation to hold the sheriff accountable and to hold that department accountable for, and and it goes beyond mismanagement, where you have people dying in jail. That's beyond mismanagement. That becomes criminal activity that has to be investigated by the district attorney's office. And from a district attorney perspective, I just want to be very clear. What does that accountability look like? What specifically would you be doing? I would be opening it criminal investigations where people are dying in the jail. I'm not just going to write a report. Unfortunately, uh, our district attorney's policy until I believe 2019 was that unless someone in custody died by the use of a weapon, that there was no investigation. And so, so many people have, have suffered harm, injury, even death at Santa Rita County Jail without there even being an investigation by the DA's office. So number one, I get to investigate. Once you make it clear to people that you are going to be watching what they do, then things will change. And so the DA does have the ability to open a criminal investigation. We had this situation where this deputy literally assaulted the Raptors coach, but our district attorney made a decision to investigate and potentially charge the black man instead of dealing with the deputy who clearly was acting outside of the law. So I want to continue our conversation a little bit about the ways that Police violence has, or or police or violence in prison has has played out in the Bay Area. The charges that the district attorney can choose to file or not include criminal charges in the cases of incidents of violence by police officers. Basically, the DA makes the final county level determination of whether a use of force like a police officer killing someone, for example, is considered justified or not. During her time in office, that's from 2009 until now, the current district attorney has filed charges against just one officer for killing somebody. Pamela Price, how do you plan on dealing with officers who exercise violence against people in those ways? In the same way that I have been dealing with them since 1991, my first federal civil rights trial was on behalf of Officer Derek Northley, who was assaulted by his colleagues at the Oakland Police Department because they thought he was a suspect. Because he was a black man undercover, they assaulted him. I got a judgment against OPD for that case, including punitive damages, and that was 1992-93. And so I have been holding police accountable when they violate the constitutional rights of residents of Alameda County, of Sacramento. I've tried cases up and down this state and held 
um, law enforcement accountable. And that is, in fact, the job of the district attorney as well. We will not no longer have a double standard in Alameda County where if you are a regular resident and you violate someone's rights, we come after you with the full force and the power of the state. But if you are a law enforcement officer and you violate someone's right, even to the point of death, that we give you a pass. That cannot happen. And so we will promptly investigate. We will be issuing public reports uh, promptly, which has not been the case under the current administration. We've seen where the it has. We've seen where the district attorney will issue her report at the same time as the local law enforcement agency. They have a press conference together where they issue basically a joint report saying nothing. Nothing happened here or the reports are suppressed. And we're gonna stop doing that. We're going to make our, we're gonna promptly investigate, then we're gonna make our reports public. So let, and I let's believe bring that this, once we engage oh. law enforcement at that level, that we tell every commander, every leader of the law enforcement agency in this county, we are going to hold you accountable. This is the standard. We will train law enforcement on what our expectations are. And that extends everything from the use of force to misconduct to racial profiling. So I want to ask specifically a question about how you'll handle this within the structure, the current structure of the district attorney office. Part of the process in determining whether to file charges is for inspectors and prosecutors to explore and report on the cases to the district attorney who makes their decisions based on these reports. So these reports are created by DA investigators and the Alameda County office currently has around 70 investigators. Many of them are former police officers themselves. If you're in the position to ultimately make the decision of when to prosecute cops in incidents of violence, how will you structure your office to get a semblance of objectivity in how these reports are filed? Again, the DA relies on reports from DA investigators whose previous experience are often as police officers, many of whom maintain personal relationships with current cops. Yes, personal relationships and financial relationships. It's well known that a uh, the promotion track or the retirement opportunities for local law enforcement are to go to the district attorney's office. And so, unfortunately, our district attorney's office has had this completely incestuous relationship with law enforcement stemming from, yes, the need to have, um, to rely upon the investigations of police locally. But when you bring that element into your office, you lose all impartiality. And I was an advocate many years ago for uh, independent investigations of certainly of unarmed uh, residents to be conducted by the California Attorney General's office, calling upon them. That was done in New York State back in 2016. And so I advocated for that. And ultimately, we got that done and passed in 2021. Um, and so Assembly uh, Attorney General Bonta has an obligation to set that unit up and get it to function, okay? But those are deal with the most egregious cases where there's actually death. At the local level, we know that there are so many instances of misconduct that go unreported because the expectation is that there's no fair process and there is no impartiality. In my litigation experience, I've dealt with a number of uh, entities that have something called the Office of Inspector General, the CDCR, for instance. Um, I've worked with that office, Amtrak, for the 
instance. I've worked with that office. We can use that as a model by which we're able to revamp and reorganize this internal department that has essentially become an extension of the local police department. So are you suggesting that if you win this election, you would restructure the investigation portion of the department so that the people involved are not former officers and or don't have ongoing relationships with current personal relationships with current officers? Most definitely. Yes. That's a, that's mandatory. We have to do that because it's been one of the things we know is that the DA's office has been on the wrong track for so long that we've got to really be aggressive about how we fix the problems and public safety requires public trust. And right now our residents do not trust the DA's office for good reason. And so we have to begin to fix that um, in some very significant ways. Specifically, I want to ask about some more of the what I understand as systemic failures within the district attorney's office itself right now. I'm looking at an East Bay Times article from 2021 that references a motion by the public defender's office that was filed. It references over 20 cases by name where the appellate court either determined that a member of the DA's office committed misconduct or reversed a conviction due to error. Among the conduct described is withholding exculpatory evidence, making improper arguments to the jury, and even secretly recording attorney-client conversations in jail. The attorney involved in that last case is back in the district attorney's office currently. And many of the attorneys involved in all of those cases um, are, are, are still in the district attorney's office. How do you plan to address these well-documented issues of prosecutorial misconduct in the DA's office? And specifically, if an appellate court determined that one of your attorneys committed misconduct, what, if any, disciplinary actions would you take against that attorney? I can tell you that the kind of prosecutorial misconduct that has been tolerated in the Alameda County District Attorney's Office will not be tolerated in my administration. The motion that you cite, the case involves Sean Martin, who lost seven years of his life based on prosecutorial misconduct. He was convicted wrongfully, and then he was exonerated. I've read that motion, and you're absolutely correct. The district attorney has taken no action whatsoever to address the, the well-documented instances that are in that motion. And that is not the only motion. I mean, just last week, there was a hearing in the Alameda County Superior Court looking at the misconduct of a prosecutor who withheld exculpatory evidence and someone went to jail. We have had exonerations um, over the past five or six years where it's clear that we are not, the DA's office is getting it wrong. Um, there was... Um, a number of cases that came up in 2013, Ronald Ross was exonerated after seven years. 2013, Johnny Williams was exonerated. He did 14 years. 2017, Deshaun Reed was exonerated seven years. 2021, Patrick Reed was exonerated 10 years. And again, Sean Martin was uh, acquitted in 2021. And our district attorney, the pattern that the the public defender said, and this is exactly what they said, a troubling and extensive pattern of misconduct. I'll never forget being shocked by the case of a young boy who had been tried as an adult. He was 15 years old, and he shot someone, 
And yes, he killed someone, and it was a terrible tragedy for this community. But that child received a sentence of 85 years to life. And the Court of Appeal overturned that because we are not legally, as lawyers, we are not supposed to be imposing sentences on children of life without the possibility of parole. So we know that these are the cases that we have found out about that have been reported and documented. I know as a lawyer, there's thousands of cases that don't get reported, that people don't complain, that the appeal, Mm -hmm. the conviction doesn't get overturned. All right. Thank you, Pamela. We only have about a minute and a half left. So I have two more questions that I'm hoping you can dive into and really quickly with me. 30 seconds or less. First, I would just want to clear up one thing. In in the earlier part of the this hour, we had Terry Wiley, who, who's your opponent on um, in this election. He said that he, you said that you are not going to charge any misdemeanors. Yeah, he has a loose association with the truth. (laughs) Mr. Wiley has said a lot of things in this uh, campaign that are not true. I did not ever say that I would not prosecute misdemeanors. What I understand is that the prosecutor has discretion, and you have to utilize that discretion in a way that serves this community. All right, thank you. And last question, just to to wrap up, because we're out of time. Are there any other campaign priorities that we haven't touched on yet that you'd like to just mention very briefly? Sure. Go to my website, PamelaPriceForDA.com. We have a 10-point platform. One of the things we really will address is mental illness. Mental illness is not a crime. Homelessness is not a crime. And as district attorney, we have to work collaboratively with community organizations, with the Department of Justice, with all the local elected officials to tackle that problem and do what we can to, to make it better. Pamela Price, thank you for joining us this morning. We have to wrap up. Thank you. Pamela Price is one of the two candidates in a runoff for Alameda County's district attorney race, and the election is coming up on November 8th. After that date, we will finally know who our next district attorney is in Alameda County. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests on this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by myself, Jesse Strauss, and I hosted today. Our theme music is composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA, that's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area, our show. And all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.